Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49%. Based on credit worthiness, rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. Look out, it's only films to be buried with Judgment Day. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with Judgment Day. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a real McCoy, and I love films. As J.M. Barry once said, to die will be an awfully big adventure. But also, have you ever been to one of those screenings of Jaws they do on lakes where you sit in a rubber ring and stuff? That would also be pretty cool if you ask me. I do actually want to ask you, and I have, so please reply soon, J.M. Barry. Thank you very much. Every week, I invite a special guest over. I tell them they've died. Then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Ped Pambles, Jed Lambles, and even Mary McCampbells, but this week is different. It's only episode 200. We did it, Joe. So to celebrate this milestone in all our lives, I've gone back to the beginning again and tied it up with the end in the perfect circle of life. Today is Judgment Day. The world has ended. The genie, James Acaster, guest number one, stands before me. He has one chance to prove why I should send him to heaven and not to hell. You know, that sort of thing. Check out the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you get an extra 30 minutes with James. We talk film scores, secrets, many more stuff. Many more stuff? Yeah, why not? You get all of the episodes uncut and ad-free and often as a video. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. And don't forget, tickets are truly selling fast for the big live films to be buried with at Hackney Empire on July 2nd. Make sure you get the ones you can from plosive.co.uk and hackneyempire.co.uk. James A. Caster, come on, you know him by now. He's a genie, he's a podcaster, he's a rapper, he's a musician, he's a stand-up, he's an actor, he's an author. I was delighted to have him back as I have for the last 200 episodes. I will talk about the future of the show and tell you what I think about this whole 200 milestone, what it means for me and what it means for you, the listener. We'll do all of that at the end. But for now, I think this is a great one and you're going to love it. So I very much hope you enjoy episode 200 of Films to be Buried with. Judgment Day! Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with Judgment Day! It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today for the, probably... Sixth time 
so for fifth time to the show he's an actor he's a writer he's a podcaster he's a musician he's a rapper he's a producer he's a creator he's an islander he's a soft boy he's a man he's a lover he's a fighter but only with his own audiences he's the one of the greats and he's an all-time hero and a legend of the stand-up circuit and of catering please work and of food and he's also a genie and he's a lovely boy please welcome to the show it's the wonderful it's the brilliant it's the incredible it's mr joe daycaster thank you thank you brett welcome back james daycaster how are you i'm good i'm excited to be back i didn't foresee it how the heck are you very good. I'm excited. I've got all my answers to your questions for judge. I'm I, I the first Judgment Day. You, you listen. This is episode 200, which is a huge deal. Uh, you did the very first episode of Films to Be Buried with, and then you did the hundredth episode of Films to Be Buried with the Resurrection. And it only seemed right that as I reached 200, you should come back. And what has happened is a whole new, a whole new, absolutely thrilling format. But first, let's just check in because you know I'm obsessed with knowing about this side of you, you know, you're oft considered the best stand-up in the UK. Not my words, <laughs> but, the, but the words of many. And yet, hate stand-up, quit stand-up. And now, word on the street is that every time I look at a listing, back to stand-up. What's happened? How's it going? Are you OK? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm all right. I was doing some this year. So... Just this year? OK. Yeah, yeah. Loads of charity gigs uh, now. There's a, there's a lot of charity gigs, um, so I said yes to them. Good boy. And then my friends have ordered a small tour of Scandinavia, because I've never Wicked. been around Scandinavia. I thought I'd do that. And because I did those, some other mates have offered me one-off gigs, and I've thought, oh, yeah, I'll do that for a bit. And so I, I just thought I'd see how it feels. How's it feeling so far? Fine, but I'm probably just going to do it until the end of this year, every now and again, and then not do next year, I reckon. And stop again. Do, are you doing all new like stuff? Yeah, because I can't remember the old stuff. Right. But ma- mainly, what I'm trying to do at the minute is to remedy the stuff that I don't like about stand up. Because like, I get really, get really wrapped up in being able to control it or not. And you know, because it's interesting. Because me, me and you, mm-hmm. we started out a similar time. I started just after yeah. you, different career paths, and very proud of each other. Yeah. I hope. Oh, very very proud of you. And I've spoke to you recently mm-hmm. about stand-up and you've been like, oh, mate, it's the best thing. Just hold on to that stand-up, man. No one can tell you what to do. You just get to go on stage, you be your own boss. Oh, it's the dream. I love it so much. Um, <laughs> and I was like, Brett never used to love stand-up. Well, I, guess, I guess working in scripted must be the, the worst thing in the world. Uh, if, no. it's made, if it's made him made him go like this. But then, like, <laughs> there's that thing, isn't it, of control. So, like, you, you, I think you enjoy mm. stand-up because you get to just have 100% control or get more control than you do maybe when you are collaborating with a lot of people and making something. Now, it doesn't mean that one's better than the other, but you clearly are a person who appreciates what both mediums have to offer. Now, I would say, for me, stand-up, I don't have enough control because the audience can do whatever they want. And then that really, that's really wound me up always. And so what I'm trying to do now is go accept the fact mm-hmm. 
that, that, that what you want is never going to happen. You're never going to go on stage night after night and they respond exactly the way you want them to. They don't talk to each other. They don't shout out. They don't go on their phones. And occasionally, you might have mm. that gig. But sometimes I've had those gigs. I'll go, mm. yeah, yes, that was it. And then afterwards, someone will come up to me and goes, oh, someone was talking behind me the whole show. Couldn't hear you. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, I, thought I, had, I thought I had the gig. Well, I didn't have the gig. Um, but uh, and so I'm trying to let go of that. And I'm doing some solo shows. The only reason why I put solo shows in is to try and combat my fears by doing uh, exposure therapy and turning up Mm. to the gigs and telling the audience they're allowed to do whatever they like for the whole show. Uh, Um, They don't have to shout out. They don't have to do anything like that. Mm. It's not, it's not a heckle me. It's not mandatory. It's not here. I am do your worst. Let's do this. Me versus Mm. you. It's just me saying at the top, you can do what you want and you won't get in trouble. I'm not gonna have a go at you. Little contract with the audience at the start. Right. And then I kind of like, do a show and sometimes people have heckled for the whole thing and sometimes people have just sat there and listened um sometimes loads of people have been on their phones during the show or been walking in and out the room or talking to each other and i find that because i've made that contract at the beginning it's fine and i don't get annoyed about it and it feels like oh there's something in this mm. and if i wasn't as busy trying to get other things off the ground i'd probably just do that every night and be like let's explore this there's something here but as it is right now I think it's maybe just this year. Well, may I say this? I don't think that what I love about stand-up is control. I think (laughs) that's not the way I see it at all. I mean, I'm sure there's a part of it that is, in terms of control, in terms of you're in control of what you're putting out and you don't have to compromise or discuss with people your material, you can just do it. That is control. But stand-up, I see, is like freedom. It's like... (sighs) I hate to say this because I sound like an absolute fucking dickhead, but it's more like surfing because you have no control. You're right. You don't know what's going to happen. The mm. other night I had, a mad, I had a mad gig in Kingston. This fucking guy joining it, it was insane. But it wasn't. I wasn't like, hey, I'm trying to do this thing and you're ruining this thing. It was like, yeah. oh, okay, we're going this way now. It's like being in the moment and trying to just have fun with the wave that is currently in front it's the closest you, I get to being sort of zen. It's like, okay, well, this is the thing. So what's this thing? Just like, let's have fun with whatever mm. this thing is because I don't have control over it. All I can do is try and have some fun with it. Whereas the other things that I do don't quite work like that because you have to you have to edit it. You have to make it into a thing. Whereas stand-up's like, I don't know what it is. Could be anything that night. You know what I mean? Well, I, 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 see, I see what's happening here. Yeah. Well, I think What's it depends what, depends what your main thing is, right? So whatever... we, we Comedians like to do a lot of different things. Yeah. And when you've got your main thing, you really want that to be good. And that's where the anxiety is and the pressure is. Mm. This has to be great. I've got a thing that everything like, everyone likes this thing. Right. I've got okay. to make this thing good. And then everything else is like, oh, this is a laugh. So, so, oh, oh, right. so I'm, I'm going to stand up like, well, it doesn't have to be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're going to stand up like, cowabunga. You know, this is surf up. I, I love it. Uh, this is just, you know, going to play squash with my friend after work. Woohoo! Uh, and then, uh, you know, probably the same way that I, uh, you know, I might regard podcasting. I was podcasting with my, my friend, Ped Pambles. And we're like, yeah. ha this is fun. And, uh, I must get and then, one day. And then I've gone to do, like, you know, stand-up and gone, this is it, James. You've got him. You've got to show him yes. who's boss. You've got to show him you're number one. Um, and um, actually what's been nice is coming back and not doing that and going, no, no, I don't have to be uh, immaculate. This doesn't have to be 
the perfect thing. Also, I mean, you know, I want to try and get better in any field, whatever it is I'm doing. I go, well, what's, how can you improve on this? And, mm. um, you know, with stand up, I'm like, the main thing that you're really bad at in stand up is um, just being relaxed in the moment and uh, doing the gig and not, and not shouting at a bunch of people who have paid to see you. So let's, if you're, <laughs> if you're going to go back to that and maybe even spend the rest of your life doing it, you might want to sort that out first before you do anything else. So it's, it's like, this is the thing that you're shittest at, at comedy. So let's work on that bit. Absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm excited. Listen, I'm excited that you're doing gigs again, even though you. I don't know if I've said this on a podcast, but you're the goodwill hunting of stand up. That's interesting. You're the, you're the you know you're this maths genius who doesn't appreciate that he's the maths genius, and I'm Ben Affleck on the building site going. If you're not doing stand up and you're still yeah. here on the building site with me, just doing podcasts, I'm gonna be fucking furious, and we ain't gonna be friends anymore. Will Every hunting. time I log on to that Zoom call. I hope you don't show up. That's the best part of my day. <laughs> um, it's a Boston accent. Really good. You're very good at accents. You're good at everything. Well done. Get in the car. James A. Caster, you have died yet again. But oh. don't worry, so has everyone. Why? Because it's Judgment Day. Judgment Day is here. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Judgment Day. You stand on the precipice between heaven and hell. For me to decide where you go, you must first tell me the very best and very worst thing that you did in this lifetime. And answer some questions about film. But first, let's hear the best and worst thing you think you did in this lifetime. Oh, Jesus. Big question. Yeah. To just, to just throw at a, a person. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I, I do know the answer. Um, absolutely. Best, best thing I've ever done mm. is, um, I made a particularly good batch of chorizo broccoli pasta the other day, probably the best batch I'd ever made. Um, so that, that's the best thing I've ever done. Best thing, best thing, uh, you've ever done is carbs. Okay. Yeah, I made, I made, I, yeah, of course you, you would think uh, immediately categorize it into, into carbs. Okay. Uh, Bear in mind who's in charge of judgment day, but okay, that's, that's your, this is the best thing, okay? Oh, because anti because anti carb Goldstein is it is in charge of Judgment Day. I'm now going to hell because I said I made. Well, it depends. Made a so let's see what the worst thing meal. you did. Worst thing you did was make someone eat that pasta. Go on. What's Didn't the worst thing? We, we both freely ate it. We loved it. Uh, and then probably the worst thing I've ever done. Some people felt that me and Ed bullied you too much when we did the last men used to be buried with. Oh, did they? <laughs> did they? <laughs> Yeah, that's. I don't know what that says about. I didn't, all of I, us I didn't think we were bullying you. That even if you did, and I genuinely have no recollection, I didn't think about it for a second afterwards. No, because we weren't bullied. Because it was all a bit of fun. And also, you were saying loads of stuff about us. But the the, the difference is, afterwards, you asked for your stuff to be cut because it was genuinely out of order. <laughs> That's really funny. That's like me and you going on roast battle and I make me cut all my roast jokes and it just looks like, bloody hell, James was just horrible. Brett just stood there. It's me laying into you. Jesus. Brett just stood there and looked sad and then the show ended. It was so <laughs> weird. deserve that. Okay, so that's the worst thing you did. I mean, they're pretty... We'll see. We'll see what... i got to say, as as person in charge of Judgment Day, so far, yeah. und- undecided. They're, they're both pretty... Um, 
minimal things. So neither, they probably cancel each other out. So you're still balancing. So let's see how you get on with the film questions. Now, yeah. really, to get into heaven or hell kind of depends on these next questions. Okay. Okay? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think this is this format works. Uh, what yeah. is the film that you saw, James Acaster, when you were too young to see it, that affected you the most? I would say, because it's the first film that I remember seeing when I was too young to see it, and I wasn't like massively too young, but definitely in my house, Brett, we weren't allowed to watch any films that were, oh, you know, yeah. not appropriate certificate-wise. So uh, the first time I saw a film that was like, a little bit too old for me was when I was around my friend's house, uh, Stephen's house, and he put on Drop Dead Fred. Mm. And it was like a film that obviously I could understand because it was all like, it was about, you know, imaginary friends and whatever. It was quite childish in a way. And, and uh, Rick Mayles, you know, the way that he was was very, you know, kids could understand why it was funny, but there mm-hmm. were swears in it. And I, I remember being like, like for ages, so I think that's a, a bit right at the beginning where the little girl swears because Drop Dead Fred taught her a swear word. And I, I really thought for a long time, oh man, I can't believe I watched that film. I can't believe I watched it and the little girl swore. Um, <laughs> and it really stuck with me for a long time. And then, you know, Rick Mayo's comedy stuck with me for a long time as well. I remember seeing that early on and I can definitely, there are some times when uh, I do bits of stand-up and whatever and I'm like, you're leaning a bit, a little bit into Rick Mayo sometimes. Yes. I see that. Especially Drop Dead Fred, Rick Bale. Have we ever talked about on the podcast, uh, we have in real life, the first gig we did together, I used to run an open mic gig called Funny How. Yes. And James A. Custer came down to do it. And yeah. I'll always remember that what happened was, you were very Rick Mayle-esque. You, <laughs> did, you did your excellent stand-up, but in the middle of it, I mean, it was a fucking weird gig <laughs> above above that usually had about four people in the audience. <laughs> and a man fell asleep <laughs> in the front row. <laughs> Yeah, one of the four people in the audience fell asleep, <laughs> and you leapt towards him with the mic in your hand and clapped, <laughs> clapped the mic in his face yeah. to wake him up, and then just carried on. <laughs> oh, I do remember that. Do I think remember he was that? eating popcorn, wasn't he? Did he have some popcorn on his lap? That's in my yeah. memory. In my memory, he had popcorn. He had ate popcorn and then fell asleep in the middle of your five-minute set. Yeah, <laughs> and you woke him up with the mic. Also, for the listeners, for the listeners, that's the first time I met Brett, and I had turned up, I was not on the bill, and I turned up, just chancing my luck, trying to get Mm. on, and Brett said, perfectly reasonable, said, I'm sorry, I've got the the line-up sorted for tonight, and, you know, probably was thinking, plus I don't know you, and you could be shit, and, um, you know, and I was, I just started out, so I was pretty shit, and then I, I went... But I've come all the way from Kettering and I've got to go home on the train and it's an hour. And you were like, oh, okay. <laughs> it put me on. It's very nice. It's true. That's how it's true. our friendship started. Well, so that's how a- getting anyone, to know each other started. We anyone trying to get... Yeah, we, well, yeah. I think I was like, that Rick Mel dude, it was weird. And then we had yeah. a gig in a hut at the end of a garden somewhere mm, that was yes. really fucking racist we did a racist gig yep. <laughs> we did a racist gig at the bottom of the garden you remember that terrifying you might have reminded me of that gig. <laughs> we weren't hired as racist it turned out the okay. audience were, the audience were racist uh-huh. and we both we both had to deal with that on stage fascinating then we Forgotten were friends yes. after that when once you've been for a real 
horrible yeah. gig. Then you're mates. <laughs> but anyway, a little tip for any open mic is trying to get on. Lie about how far you've come to get there and <laughs> see if they'll take pity on you. <laughs> uh, if you could play one character in a film, which one would it be, James A. Custer? Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, oh my God, you'd be good. I love Napoleon Dynamite. Mm. Massive soft spot for it. I, I don't know if it's still got that cult status. When we, when it first came out, me and all my mates were watching it and talking about it and quoting it. And then the guy who made it didn't really do much after that. I mean, he did the Jack Black film and it didn't really do that well, the uh, Nacho Libre one. Even though it sounded like a dream, an film. absolute slam dunk. It's like yeah. he's just made Napoleon Dynamite and now he's making a film where Jack Black plays a monk who wants to become a wrestler. And you're thinking, that sounds great. But actually, you go, oh, when people ask what's Napoleon Dynamite about, you go, it's about Napoleon Dynamite. It's not really about it. It's about a character. And uh, you just see him and he just leads up to the go to the school dance and doing his dance. That's kind of it. Yeah. It's not like, oh, there's a whole story. If there is a storyline, I never cared about it. So then really, I think Nacho Libre, the, the mistake there was, I've got a storyline for this one. It's like, no, no, don't do that. Don't, don't have a storyline. The mistake was plot. You're yeah. absolutely right. Um, you should have just had a film where Jack Black is a wrestler or Jack Black is a monk, but I think the wrestler would have been a better one. Um, <laughs> but I loved Napoleon Dynamite. I thought mm-hmm. that the character was amazing. And um, I can't remember the name of the actor. He had a few roles after that. I remember really enjoying Blades of Glory. But yes. in general, you kind of go, that's all you needed, man. You did Napoleon Dynamite and you're immortal now. Because su- it it's one of the great cinematic roles. And I would love that. I would love to just... I, I have enough uh, confidence. Well, I don't have enough confidence in my acting to be like, yeah, I reckon I'll be able to get loads of bites at this cherry and loads of different roles. No, no. I think I've got a fluke. Get one role that is the, the absolute... Yeah, an absolute humdinger like that one. Nail it. And then, and then like, and then that's all I need. And then do one Will Ferrell film and then... Yeah. Go, go quiet. Then you get to do a Will Ferrell film. You're John that, Hedder. Okay. John Hedder. Yeah. That's what, I, that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to be a Napoleon Dynamite. It was a toss-up between, even though the person who did this other role has gone on to be huge, but it was a toss-up between, and because it was the same era for me, mm-hmm. Napoleon Dynamite or Donnie Darko. That was the, oh. that was the toss-up. Because I was like, oh, it'd be cool to be in one of those type of films that were like, I just want to be like, the titular character in a cult classic. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that is a fair fucking uh, dream to have. The titular character in a cult classic. Okay. Super answer. There you go. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. But, you, but you're Napoleon Dynamite. That's a mashup. You as Napoleon Dynamite, me as Super Bob. Oh. Buddy cop film. You'd be a good Bunny Darko. I think if they remake Donnie Darko, which let's face it, they're remaking everything these days, so it's not yeah. off the cards. If they make a Donnie TV Darko show. TV series, yeah. I'd cast you as Donnie. And it's like Donnie's grown up, which would then really really make people think, what, oh, yeah. hold on, what happened at, at the end of the film if he's <laughs> fucking grown up now? Yeah, I'm not sure I understood it at the time. Now I'm well confused. Yeah. <laughs> what is the worst date slash time you've ever had at a film? This is the hardest one. Okay. Because I've not really had many like times where I've gone to the, the cinema on a date. I think you only really make those mistakes really when you're in early on in your dating career. 
Mm-hmm. When you're, you know, late teens, early 20s, whatever. That's just, mm. just me. Other people might have been dating a lot earlier than that. But like, and I'll be like, let's go to the you cinema. Certainly made up, you certainly made up for last time. Thank you, Brett. Uh, but like, you'd be sitting there in the cinema thinking, why have I, why have I suggested we come here? We're not even talking to each other. And mm. then you just don't make those mistakes anymore. So, you know, there was stuff like Day After Tomorrow. I remember going to see on a, on a date when I was like, you know, late teens. I actually went on a date to see The Breakup, the Vince Ford, Jennifer <laughs> Aniston film. First date, going to see The Breakup. I remember even thinking to myself while watching it, this is going to be a great story when we're married. So the first, <laughs> first thing we saw together was The Breakup. But... I didn't really, you know, I didn't like those. I didn't hate them. It wasn't a bad experience. Um, I thought about saying Snowtown because um, oh, that was yeah. that was me and you going to see that. But yeah. I didn't hate that film. It was you hating it, and then you <laughs> leaving with PTSD and me just being like, oh, I just thought it's quite a well-made <laughs> film about a horrible thing. Um, <laughs> I did have PTSD about that film. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it really, really affected you in a bad way. Yeah. I would say so. I'm just going to go by like the relationship I'm in now. And the worst film we went to see to get just like it was early on in the relationship. I remember being angry <laughs> that we'd seen it for it was such a long film, mm-hmm. and at the time, actually, still now, I love. Yeah, you know, I was like, I just started seeing this person. All I wanted to do was be around her, talk to her, and now this fucking film is getting in the way, and we're sitting here, and this is three hours fucking long. I just want to talk to her, and, and this is bullshit. And that film was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Which can oh, wow. absolutely, I I think it's his worst film. I hate it. I think it's shit. I think that everyone who likes it is an idiot. <laughs> it, it, it's one of the only films I feel that way about. Hmm. Most things you go are oh, subjective, and with that one, I'm like, no, no, you're wrong. It's bad. It's bad by his own rules. It's bad, and it's like it's it's, it's, it's like he doesn't know why his previous films were good and why they worked. That's what annoys me about it. What are his rules? Well, not rules, but like, it's, it's like, you know, sometimes like people make something, it could be anything, a stand-up show, book, whatever, and it, they kind of organically discover it and they make this thing and they really engage with it and it's great. And then they try and replicate it and they just replicate what's on the surface without thinking about why they made all those decisions in the first place. And I was watching <laughs> Goddamn Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and most people complain with that film about the acting stuff about all the him being an actor and him being on set doing the scenes and they like oh that bit's so slow and blah 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 I like those bits yeah I like those bits I think that's I think that should have been the film the film should have been this guy is a struggling actor and his relationship with his stuntman and just them on sets and, and then talking to different actors and, and just do that film mm-hmm but instead he's like, no, no, God, oh, I did Inglourious Barsas and Django Unchained, which I thought were both great. And he's like, I've got, I've got to do that again. Oh, well, I'm doing a Hollywood film, so I've got to do a Hollywood one. Oh, there was the, the Manson family. I'll do that. Now, look, that's fine. If you want to do that, do that. But <laughs> no, no judgment here. The, and no pun intended here. The execution was absolutely atrocious. Here's why, Bradley. Let's, let's hear Here's it. why. And I am angry about it. I'm still angry about it to this day because every time I hear people go on about it, it being brilliant, it really makes me angry. Mm-hmm. Um, in Inglorious Bastards and in Django Unchained, yes. even though he doesn't need to, mm-hmm. he shows you why the bad guys are bad. He doesn't really need to show you why the Nazis are bad. We all know that. He doesn't really need to show you why slave owners are bad. But he does it. 
And he goes, just so you know, the pieces of shit, and not just the group, but the specific characters we're dealing with in the film are bad people. And here's them doing bad things, and here's why you should hate them. So you're like, right, now, he doesn't need to do that with those films, because they're two of the biggest bad groups in history. So we already know that going in. But then he does this one, and it's the Manson family, which not everyone knows about, right? I know they did some bad shit. I don't know all the details of it. I know they're not good, but they're not as notorious, I'm going to say, as Nazis and, and slave owners. Those people have been heavily discussed. We know that they're the worst people ever. And then the Manson family, it's like, oh, what did they do again? And then in this film, all he shows you is they're a bunch of dirty hippies. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't like that. And, <laughs> and and Brad Pitt goes onto the ranch. And at no point on the ranch do any of them do anything bad. They're all hanging around, hanging out, and he doesn't like it. Brad mm. Pitt's like, I don't like this fucking budget of fucking hippies. Yeah. And he's walking around, and he's saying to them, like, the fuck are you doing on this ranch? And they're like, the guy said we could be here. Oh, I doubt it. Just doesn't believe him. Then he goes in, mm-hmm. and the guy's like, yeah, I did, actually. I did say they could be here. Oh, Bruce Dern. And he's mm. like, oh. And then Brad Pitt goes out, and one of them's put a knife in his tyre, because fair enough. Mm-hmm. Because as far as we're concerned as the audience, if you didn't tell me it was the Manson family, mm. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, they're just, they're, they're, this guy's allow, allowing them to hang out on the ranch. Big old Brad Pitt, it seems like a Tory, by the way, has decided, also, who may have murdered his wife. We'll get onto that in a minute. Yeah, he's, it, he's decided he, he doesn't like them. He's been proved wrong that they are allowed mm. to be here. Now. So one of them's gone, go fuck yourself. And then he beats them up. It's so violently, it's fucking yeah, nuts. so violently. Knocks their teeth out or some shit, mm-hmm. drives away, and you're meant to go, yeah, good on you. Mm-hmm. And like at one point, like one of them, like you know, goes to get the person who's on who's on a little horse ride. He goes, he's beating up our friend, and he gets back on his horse. He's there too late because Brad Pitt's driven away. So I've not been told why any of these people are arseholes yet. And at one point, Manson has shown up at the house and just looked at, is it Sharon Tate? Yes, he just looked at her, and that's it. Yeah, they haven't shown you anything else that's happened there, even though we know what happened there in real life. But like, he just has a little look and he goes, up. "So they're not, they're not doing it nearly anywhere near as much as they did with the bad guys in those other films." And and bearing in mind, yeah, with Sharon Tate, obviously she's not in it enough. Uh, Margot Robbie's not given enough to do, and you know she is the real life person in it who was the victim in real life. So like, mm-hmm. they're not really doing her any kind of sort of, they're doing her a massive disservice throughout the film. Also, you know... Not doing her any favours, yeah. No, not doing her any favours, actually. And Brad Pitt, main character, main goodie, who you're supposed to think is awesome, there's this whole thing of, like, he may have murdered his wife. And they yeah. and they pretty much make it that, yeah, he did. He pretty yeah, did. He harpooned her in, in the city and she's fucking dead. And, uh, and, and, and that, so that's like, sorry, 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 Quentin, your good guy in this film is a guy who killed a woman, is it? That's that 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 that's your goodie, and also at one point he's on set, mm-hmm. and Kurt Russell's there going, "I'm sorry, my nagging wife Zoe Bell. She's such a nag because she's proper nag. She's such a nag. She doesn't like you being on set because you you killed your wife. So she's a nag. So so so, so fuck women all the way through it. Mm-hmm. At the end, when they do the whole you know spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the ending of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But they give you three characters, two of whom you've not seen before of the Manson family. One of whom you have, but it was just a nice guy who was riding a horse earlier and wanted to defend his mate. So none of them have done anything wrong yet. They're in the car. They're planning, okay, we're going to go in. And they're kind of planning 
the murder. But again, like, you don't really know these people. You've not seen most of them for the whole film. And then they walk into the house, like, okay, we're going to do it. And then they change their mind at the last minute and go, actually, let's go in this house and do it there. So the the characters in this film aren't even going to go in there. They decide instead to go in there. So they don't even even go in a house because they decide we're going to go in there. Then they go in uh, DiCaprio's house. And there's two women and one man. And uh, the man gets bitten by a doggy. And the women get absolutely turned to pate. It's... It's some of the most violent stuff I've ever seen in a Tarantino film. One gets mm-hmm. absolutely like burnt to death in a swimming pool. The other gets mm-hmm. her face repeatedly smashed into a coffee table until it's a pulp and there's nothing left. And that is how he deals with, yeah, fuck you for k- killing Sharon Tate. I'm now going to absolutely, just horrifically butcher two women who you have not got to know throughout the film. You've not seen them do anything. They've done nothing. So you've not even said, I haven't done like like I did with the Nazis. When I wanted you to see why they were bad, with these two, they're just, all you need to know is <laughs> there were two women who might have gone in a house and that's it. And now we've done this to them. And at the end, when Brad Pitt's character's getting in the ambulance, DiCaprio's like, you're a good man. That's like the line. And then he goes away. And then everyone's like, what a great film. And it's like, no, that is abhorrent. And I was absolutely furious by the end of it. And it was the most angry I've come out of a film when I've been on a date. Luckily, my girlfriend was also angry about it. We got to both rant about it together and be like, oh, what the fuck? But like, I I, I, abso- I hate that people like it. And, and, and I, I also, I don't even hate, I hate that people like it, but I also, I hate it when people aren't angry about it. When people just go, no, it's all right. I'm like, no, no, you should be furious about that film. You should be absolutely livid about that shit. Everything that people have said to Tarantino over the years about the violence in his films that I just think is like, often it's like Tory nonsense having a go at him sometimes. With this, it's like, no, no, this is, this is the thing. This is what they should be angry about is this piece of shit. And then never mind beating up Bruce Lee and and humiliating him in it. Which was the main thing people were angry about, apparently, mm-hmm. online. Which, I mean, absolutely be angry about that. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff in that film that I was like, <laughs> people are not going to be angry about that You're as well. You're really burying the lead with the Bruce Lee stuff. Yeah. What, if you could live in the world of one film, which would it be? Oh, fair enough. We're done with that bit now. <laughs> I would say, this might seem like a... If you're about to say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood... <laughs> Because I would then, I would help the Manson family kill Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> and, uh, and Brad Pitt. Um, if you could live in the world of one film, which would it be? Th- this is going to seem like a stupid answer, and it's, it's even going to seem like the wrong answer, but I, I honestly would like to do this. Mm-hmm. Groundhog Day. Interesting. Go on. I would just like that. I would like to do that. I would like to. Mm-hmm. As long as I knew that, it was, gonna, it, it, it was going to repeat over and over again. Yeah. And that at some point it would come out. But, but as long as I kind of didn't just completely lose my mind and go insane, which is what would happen in real life if that happened to you, your mind would unravel. But why? What, okay, you're in Groundhog Day. You know Groundhog Day. You know that. You know what that world entails. What are you doing on your? What's your best day in Groundhog Day? Well, I just, I just think I just do a lot of exploring because, like, you know, when he's in the car with the two drunk guys and they just say yeah. no consequences because mm-hmm. uh, of no tomorrow. You can do what you want. So I think I would just be like, right, well, this is just going to go on forever. So today, let's go to this place. And, so, and, and I think I would just try a different thing every day and then start putting things together 
and being like, oh, okay, I know that this happens over here. And actually, I could use that to my advantage over over this place. And I would do stuff like, I'd definitely do a robbery at mm-hmm. some point and get away with it in a way that's like completely victimless the way that I do it, you know, so that I'm able to just time When he times it, when those two people like drop the coins and then he just goes and robs that uh, van and, he, and he, all he has to do is walk past at the right time and pick up the bag and carry on walking. That looks great. I'd love to do that. All that stuff. I, I wouldn't do the whole, you know, tricking people to fall in love with me stuff I mean, <laughs> and, and, and shagging You wouldn't need people. to. You wouldn't need to trick anyone, James. No. Thank you, Brett. Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, that, that, that bit of the film is a bit sinister. But, like, the rest of it, I would, I would like very much to do that. And it might be that eventually, you know, maybe I'd, um, you know, think I'll... Go completely mad? Yeah, I really want this day to stop repeating. Who would you be, you know, I'm assuming at some point years in you'd, you'd be lonely and want maybe a girlfriend. So who would you be trying to go out with? Not in a sinister way, just getting to know mm. them straight up consensually in Groundhog Day. So in, so hold on. Ah. You know everyone that lives there. So when you say the world of the film, I have to yeah. be there in Punxsutawney. Well, yeah, you're, where did you think you were? Oh, I, I thought it's like the world, like my the life time. here in London. Oh, no, you have On a loop. No, you haven't. You picked the time loop, but you picked Puxatorni on Groundhog yeah. Day. Okay, who would I try and fall in love with? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> not not to not Andy McDowell actually, because I don't really get. One thing I don't get upon rewatching with that with that mm. film is uh, why he falls, why he fancies. Like I, I don't really get yeah. anything that's like that. This very cynical man. It makes more sense at the beginning when he's like, "Fuck her," and he just doesn't <laughs> like it. He's really rude to her. Um, that makes more sense for that character that he would see this like actually quite optimistic, um, you know, nice person and go, no, thank you. And it's just weird that at one point he decides I'm going to f- make her fall in love with me. They don't really <laughs> explain why in the film. I mean, really, my fa- my my favorite character in it is a uh, is the cameraman. Oh, okay, Chris Elliott. Okay, Chris Elliott. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're going to fall in love with cabin boy. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah okay. I mean, uh, he's, he's great he's funny in all the films I've seen him in mm-hmm. you know I haven't seen there's something about Mary in a long time and I'm pretty sure that if I did see it again there'd be a lot of stuff I don't approve of in it uh, but like <laughs> I, I remember thinking he was good in it <laughs> okay that's an excellent answer what is your favourite children's film I've got it down to three okay so I've got it down to uh, you know I really love Pixar films. Yeah. And my favourite Pixar film is Coco. Excellent choice. So I was just going to say Coco. Because mm-hmm. I was just like, you know, I love Pixar. So if I look at the whole, all of the Pixar films, that's my favourite one. So that's my favourite kids film. But then when I was trying to jog my memory about some other ca- categories, I was looking on the internet and I saw two other films. I was like, oh shit, I've, I maybe love them more. than Like in terms of like, what so Paddington 2... Yes. And School of Rock. Oh, I mean, look, you know, School of Rock is one of my top ten. Yeah. I don't know. And it's funny, I would never have thought of it as a kid's film. I suppose it is. I watched it with my nephews recently. Yeah. And it was one of the most exciting things. They're both in primary school. I was really excited to watch it with them, that they watched it for the first time. They loved it. Great. But also, the oldest one, he's nine. And he very much likes things to be done in life. He wants things to be done the right way. You know, <laughs> he's a big, big fan of following the rules. That's your boy? 
he was so stressed out watching School of Rock. He kept on going, this man is an idiot. Oh, no. <laughs> Can't he see? He's going to ruin so many people's lives. It's gonna, the police are going to come. He's going to be in so much trouble, Uncle James. I can't. I'm so. I'm so stressed out. Uh, and then at the end, he was so happy where it ended up, and he was like, he went to watch it again. So yeah, uh, it's completely. Yeah, I remember seeing Jack Black do a speech about it, saying like, yeah, when they, I think at the premiere, there was so it's on the DVD extras or something of him saying we wanted to make a kids' film that was like kids' films used to be when kids' films were good. Mm. So out of the three of those, I would say that School of Rock is my favourite. Okay. I think Paddington 2 is also a perfect film. Yeah. Uh, I just think, you know, School of Rock is just like absolutely, it's, it's, it's a perfect film and it's just in terms of messaging and what I like, it's just aimed, aimed at me 100%. And then Coco is my favourite film of, of my, you know, favourite production company who make um, kids films. So, you know. Really good. I mean, that's a really good three. I'm going to go with School of Rock because of the experience you had with your nephew, who's absolutely definitely an A-caster. Yes. That's lovely. (laughs) Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval, variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49%. Based on credit worthiness, rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. Very lovely. <laughs> what is the film that you didn't think you would like that you ended up loving? Now, I think this is the only answer for this that everyone should have. Because I don't think anyone saw... When I saw the poster for this film, I thought, oh, they're making the worst film ever. Congratulations. <laughs> they're making the worst film ever. What a bunch of idiots. Bad luck, guys. And then I saw it, and I thought, that's one of the best films I've ever seen. I refer, of course, to the Lego movie. Oh, really good answer. What a clever boy. That's a really good answer. Of course, we forget the Lego movie. Yeah. Sounded stupid, awful, a cash-in. Yeah. What a fucking stupid idea. You're trying to make a Lego film. Hmm. It's obviously going to be bad. Little did I know... That the people who were making it, and I'm sorry that I don't know their names because Phil done... and Chris. Phil Your and Chris. Is Phil and Chris. Is, is that true? Yeah. So they have a track record, I'd say, for making films that I see the poster and I yeah. go, what a pile of shit. And yeah. then I see the film and I go, that was perfect. That was immaculate. So Crowded with a Chance of Meatballs, yeah. um, Lego Movie, and Into the Spider Verse are. All perfect, mm-hmm. amazing films. They feel exciting and original. 
even when they're doing, you know, one of them is like a brand is Lego and one of them is, uh, you know, a whole you know, Spider-Man. So it's like, you know, really those things shouldn't be, shouldn't feel original. It should feel, because yeah, they're, they're doing it from pre-existed ideas. And yet they still make them feel exciting and fresh. And the stuff that they, the way that they do it is really innovative. I couldn't believe that Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs was good. I couldn't believe yeah. how good it was. It's really good. Um, so like my top three films that fit this category are all by the uh, same oh, people. Amazing. Really good. That's, really good. That's You're absolutely right. I've, and also they changed everything because I've completely forgotten that the Lego movie sounded shit. And now we <laughs> go, oh, the Lego movie. Yeah. That's why the Emoji movie was such a thrill. <laughs> Here we go. Here's the question, the reason I've brought you back. What is the single most erotic moment in a film, James Lancaster? Listen, I don't tend to watch films and find them erotic sure, 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 as an sure. adult, even when they're trying to be oh. sexy. Sure, sure, sure. Of course. Why would you? Well, even when they're trying to be... I just think... I just don't really find it that... Yeah, you know, I, I, I have to think really, dip, really hard about this and be like... Like, honestly, are there any moments in films that you really go, oh, that's so hot, that's really sexy and erotic? <laughs> and there's not, but there was. Having said that. Once. Go once on. there was a moment in a film that I definitely thought was erotic and sexy. And so my answer for the moment in a film that is the most erotic moment in a film is... The entirety of American Pie. <laughs> I watched that when I was thirteen years old, and it was it was the sexiest thing I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> I couldn't believe <laughs> couldn't believe what I was seeing. There were boobs in it. Yeah, uh, there was it was mums shagging people on pool tables. <laughs> it was very sexy, uh, and. It was extremely erotic. It may as, I had not seen pornography at that point. It may mm-hmm. as well have been that I'd sat down to watch a pornographic film. That's how erotic it was. Mm. It blew my head off my shoulders and into space. <laughs> it was lovely... so sexy. <laughs> what a lovely, classy answer. Well, what, 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 what did you think the answer was going to be? Oh, I mean, my, uh, listen. Wild things. I, it could be... Uh, there's a hundred films... There's thousands. Anyone that comes on this podcast and goes like, yeah, I don't really think of films as sexy. I'm like, you fuck off. I feel the same way as you do about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm like, you're a fucking liar or you're mad. No, <laughs> I'm like, of course. Brett, you're, you, you have uh, to remember. Yeah. You are a walking erection. So yes. you, of course you find any film sexual. <laughs> but like, most of the time, the sex in films is like, yeah, whatever, and like, and because and, and, it's in there to serve a purpose a lot of the time. What's but the when you're fir- when you're thirteen yeah. years old and you see American Pie for the first time, <laughs> yeah, it's true. What is that? Not erotic? No, it is absolutely erotic. But for you to say that was the last time that film, I honestly can't remember that a time way. since where I thought. I, I, I'm, not jo- I'm not. I'm not saying this just to appear like I'm. I'm a. I'm a real good boy. Hey. I I'm a grubby little little pervo, but like, <laughs> but let's not. I don't look at films and go, oh yeah, oh, there, there it is, so sexy. There it is. There it is. I really thought. I thought it's about so it. Sinister. There it is. I really, really thought about it. And there it is. There it is. 
That's what happened. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Imagine saying that. Hello. During the act. There it is. Horrible. There it is. Absolutely horrible. There it is. But no, that's not, you know, it's just... There it is. <laughs> uh, what's the film that you don't care about as a whole? You're not a big fan of the film as a whole, but there's a single sequence in it that you fucking love. Yes. And may I say, Brett... Yeah. I really enjoyed these questions and thinking of them, actually. I'm, I'm actually very Thank pleased very with all much. of my answers. This is not only that I don't really care about the film, but I like the sequence. Yeah. I don't really care yeah. about the entire franchise, but I like the sequence. Ooh, okay, interesting. Even though I've watched the entire franchise twice and will probably watch it again, because I find it comforting, even though I think all the films are bad. Um, oh, wow. I refer to the film is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Ooh, okay, interesting. I just think they're, bad, they're pretty bad films with amazing... Some of the best casts we've ever seen on the screen. But um, generally speaking with Harry Potter, I don't think the stories are ever really very good. And um, the... Uh, wow. A lot of the... I, I love the world building. That's what I love in Harry Potter. He, he loves the world building. I love the world building. Couldn't care less about the stories. I think there's bad stories. But here's the thing. I get chills every time mm. Neville chops the head off Nagini with the sword of Gryffindor. That sequence, mm. when you've seen this little kid, literally, you know, starting off as a little little boy in the films who's just going, why is it always me? And hanging up, <laughs> hanging from the ceiling, and he's a little clumsy boy. And then in the final film, he's, he's fucking ripped. He's tall, and he's mean, and... The way that the angle that they shoot it at, the way that he swings the sword up, so that the, the snake's coming up, because the snake's coming, and you don't even see, they don't make a big deal of he's going up to the snake. They're just showing the snake, and you don't know what's going to happen. And then he just appears into shot, and he swings the sword upwards and chops its head off. And definitely, you're always thinking, well, Harry's going to, Harry's probably going to have to do all of this himself. But, uh,. It's Neville. Neville comes up, chops Nagini's head off, and within the same battle as well, uh, Mama Weasley, uh, Julie Walters' character, kills Bellatrix Lestrange, saying, get away from my daughter, you bitch! And uh, kills her, and that's one of the best bits in cinema history as well. Those two moments, which are like probably within five minutes of each other, I absolutely love them. And does, she say, does she say, get away from my daughter, you bitch? Yeah. Like an alien? Like an alien's... Do you know what? I didn't even think about that. Get away from her, you bitch. Is it... Is it, a, it is, is basically. It a, she, yeah, she does do yeah. that because she calls her a bitch because it's like a wow. big deal. It's like, whoa, that character... Yeah. It's like a very good decision for that character. In fact, I would say it's more effective than it is when Ripley says it because yeah, Ripley, she's a like, badass. Yeah. She'd be calling everyone a bitch. She's, she's but said like, everyone's a bitch on that spaceship. The Weasleys aren't going around going, you fucking bitch, to each other. <laughs> so, like, that's the thing. I watched them all again recently because I'd watched the reunion thing that they did on TV with all of them having the reunion. So it made me want to watch all the Harry Potter films again. So I did it and it was very comforting, but really the only moment I enjoyed were those two moments in the final film. Worth 14 hours of your time? A long time. A long old time. And yet... Worth it. Those are the only two bits. Worth it. Those two bits are like, you properly properly feel it. They're great. Really good, really good answer. What is the film that has stayed with you the longest after seeing it? Scream 2. Love Scream 2. 
loved Scream 2. I'd never seen a horror film before. I, no exaggeration, didn't sleep for two weeks. I was terrified that someone was going to burst into my bedroom and kill me because I was watching a film where people were getting killed, executed, without cause, seemingly. Hmm. I couldn't see anything that they'd done to deserve it. It was just someone bursts in and stabs them. And so I was just like, oh, that could happen at any moment. That's a thing that could happen. And I didn't sleep properly for two weeks. I was, I, it took me ages to get to bed every night afterwards. I haven't had a film before or since that has done that to me where for two weeks I'm thinking about it every single day and it has affected me mentally and it's affected the chemicals in my brain. That, that and American Pie. Well, that's the chemicals in my dick. <laughs> that's how you get a boner in it? Chemicals? <laughs> your, your dick fills up with chemicals? Yeah, it, it takes the chemicals from your... From your... Tummy? Your and heart. it puts them in your dick. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the way it works. But yeah, yeah. I was absolutely terrified of Scream 2. It became less and less with each horror film that I saw, to the point where now I just don't think I'll ever be scared by a horror film again. I just love horror films. But like, there was Scream 2, mm-hmm. and then I, I know what you did last summer. Mm-hmm. Or actually, probably I still know what you did last summer. I think I probably watched first, because who cares? You only watch the sequels, don't you? Yeah. The bit where Jack Black gets killed... Shout out to Jack Black again. Uh, in I still know what you did last summer is really uh, upset me, really chilled because he he starts crying in it and begging the guy not to do, not not to do it, and that really really got to me because I was too human and I really really I was like really yeah. felt for the guy. Hannibal, yes, where he uh, there's a lot a load of bits in Hannibal that stuck with me for a very long time. Obviously, the eating, eating his brain. Eating his allowed. brain, obviously, couldn't stop thinking about that. Yeah. Couldn't stop thinking about the guy chopping his face off and feeding it to the dog. There's probably other bits as well. But, yeah, that was that was quite unpleasant. On the other hand... Yeah, yeah. What is the film that made you feel better about the world? I, no, here's the thing as well. Third time on the pod, I don't know what films I've mentioned before and what I haven't. Apologies to any listeners if I've mentioned this one before. The rest of them, I'm pretty sure that I haven't, although Scream 2, I might have. I think you might have done Scream 2, but it doesn't matter because I haven't listened back to them and hopefully no one else has either. It'll be fine. Yeah. Also, it's been long part, enough. It's been 100 th- episodes. These are my honest since, answers. It's been you know, 100 episodes since we last. There's no rule that I couldn't repeat films. No. You know, some films do take more than one accolade. Sure. Maybe I should have made that rule. That's on me. That is on me. No, no. The film that made me feel better about the world, did you say? Yes. Life in a Day. Oh. No, I'm thinking, I think you have, I think you did mention that last time. Yeah. But this is a different category. But, it, but it's the only film that fits this. I don't think any of the films make me feel better about the world. Oh, my God. So films don't give you boners and they don't make you feel better about the world. What do they do for you? Entertain me. I really like them. They're really cool. But, like, <laughs> fiction films... Yeah. If it's fiction, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a fucking idiot. I'm not going to fall for it and go, that must be what the world is like in that story that someone made up. So forget it. When they're all like, hey, all you need to do is be kind and then your football team will be all right. I don't believe that stuff, right? That stuff isn't going to trick me. The football team aren't all right. They get relegated. Spoiler, massive spoiler. I'm, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm talking about Damned United. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> uh, 
That's very much not the message of that film. Is all you have to do is be kind, and your football team will be all right. It's be be mean to them, and then they'll sack you. I think. But um, no, no. To be fair to you, yeah, that's the, that's a good thing about t- t- Teddy Lasso is that uh, be, be, be kind, kind and mm-hmm. the world will shit on you. <laughs> yeah, that's the message, right? Which I, I like it. I like that. Yeah. So, but I think fiction films, yeah, don't make me kind of feel optimistic about the world a lot of the time because of that, because it's made up. So documentaries are the only things that can really make me feel better about the world. And most documentaries can be quite sad and arresting and uh, sobering. Some are about really amazing things that have happened but still kind of bum you out. Three identical strangers, things like that. Oh, you go, what yeah, an incredible yeah. film. But at the end, you go, oh, I didn't know the world was more messed up than I thought it was. Fuck me. <laughs> Life in a day yeah, just goes, here is just norm. Like, literally, this is just regular mundane things. And every single day on the planet, these kind of things are happening every single day. And they even show, you know, they show sad stuff and whatever in it. But it does make you feel, at the end of the film, what a beautiful thing that I'm lucky to be a part of. Mm. And that is that's the only one that makes me go, the world is beautiful, life is beautiful. Even the film Life is Beautiful did not make me think that life is beautiful. That guy's, that guy's mad. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, no. As a, that, life is Beautiful is an amazing film. But that is the only... Life in, life in a Day, I can still watch that now and feel quite warm about it and feel like I'm not even being manipulated because I, I love how it's just all presented as is. There's a mm. bit of music going on over the top and whatnot, but like they are just going, here you go, make what you want of this. And some of it is clunky or cringy, but they just let it be. And by the end, I just feel like, oh, I'm really lucky to be alive. Yeah. So yeah, that is my only answer. I can't really think of any other film. No, that's a very good answer, and you've answered it in a different way, even though I think every answer you've given so far you gave last time, but in a completely different way, that's the right thing. I can't help it. I know, this is... These are the big films, and and also, like, genuinely, like, I don't know, I'm looking at my DVD collection right now, Mm -hmm. so I've I've bought all of my favourites, because I want physical copies of them, so that's all my DVD collection is, and I'm looking over at it, and going, I mean, they, they all make me feel like more positive about the world because that film exists in the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what a great world because I can watch Sorry to Bother You or The Lobster great, or yeah. whatever. But like, they don't make me feel happier about the world. They don't make me feel, oh, the world, they're showing how me how great the world is. Which is your favourite couple in a film, James Lancaster? I know I haven't mentioned this one before. It's not even a film that I particularly like. I think it's okay. But <laughs> this is the main couple where I genuinely mm-hmm. forgot that I was watching two actors and I felt like they were genuinely in love with each other and it was a proper couple. And it is the most real, and it's, it's one scene in the film. Mm-hmm. They're not in it for the rest of you know, together for the rest of it. It's one scene and I totally believed it. So the film is Other People. Have you seen Other People? Jesse Plemons. His mother, Molly Shannon, oh, okay. yes. has cancer in it. And, you know, there's loads of actors in it that I like, so I've watched it, and it's it's fine. It's a, it, it would have done better, 
I think back in the Donnie Darko kind of era, it feels like that more of that kind of indie film. But it's, it's, it's cool. It's got some good jokes in it. And all the performances are good. Jesse Plemons is, I think, from what I remember, on a break. So his character was on a break from his boyfriend, who's played mm-hmm. by Zach, Zach Woods, who right. you might know as Gabe from The Office, from The Brilliant. American Office. There's a scene where they basically, he basically like hasn't told his parents that they've broken up, hasn't told his dad that they've broken up. So they visit and, he, and he, they pretend they're still together. And then there's a scene after that where they're laying in bed together just talking and being very tactile and just like having a conversation in bed. And that scene, I honestly just completely bought that they were in love with each other. And I, and I, I haven't ever got that. From, I remember thinking, when, when I saw these questions, yeah. I didn't even have to think. If you had asked me that on the spot, I would have known my answer straight away because it, it's really stuck with me. I've been like, nice. I remember watching it. And look, as far as I'm aware, you know, I think I think they're both straight, and uh, I, I don't I don't really really back straight actors taking those kind of roles. I think you know, <laughs> you greedy boys, leave them alone. They're not you know, <laughs> you, got, you got your own roles. Other people need to work in this industry. God damn it. Um, so you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily be like, and, and I support everything about that casting choice, and I think it's great. But my God. If I didn't watch that and think, man, they might be a real couple outside of this film because I've never... And I've seen films where there's a couple in it who are a couple in real life. Never works. Never, I've never believed a couple who are a real couple as a couple in a film. No, never no buy it. Never Don't works. care. Yeah, doesn't, don't buy it at all. But... It's weird. It's weird that you would choose to do that. Yeah. I think it's weird. Also, there's so much stuff when it's like, you know, couples in films and you kind of watch it and think, have you ever been in a relationship? Ever. <laughs> like, the way you're acting with each other. That's not how couples act. The way Clemens and Woods act in this scene <laughs> is like, that's how a couple talks when they're lying in bed with each other. And specifically as well, they're in a complicated um, stage of their relationship and the, they managed to communicate it all with body language and everything. And also at the time, you know, both actors, I liked them, but I mainly knew them as Gabe from The Office mm-hmm. and the, the whatever his name is in Breaking Bad. So I didn't know, you know, Plemons, obviously, nowadays. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a titan. He's a movie star. Yeah. But back then I was like, oh, yeah, he was a... It was Landry or whatever in Friday Night Lights, and uh, but I gave up on that before the end of the season one, so I don't really know how he did in that. And then he played that psycho in uh, Breaking, in Breaking Bad. Bad, and that was a really good role. But you know, I don't know if he's a great great actor because you know that character was like no emotion, which I'm pretty sure I could play a character with no emotion. <laughs> I so don't know. I don't know if that's a good good actor or not who can do no I emotion. I don't think you could play an actor a character who had no emotion because the director would keep going. Sorry, can you try to not show disdain either? Because that counts as an emotion. <laughs> and you're like, so sorry. So sorry. I'm trying to do no, no emotion. The thing is, that's what you, you know, people don't understand about acting. Half the mm. time, it's, you know, how you look is everything to do with it. And Jesse Plemons mm. has got those eyes are quite close together. You know, he looks like there's something going on there. You, like, he, can do, he, he can just do dead face. And you're like, oh, fuck. Mm. I do dead face. And it just looks like I'm being sarcastic. It doesn't, 
doesn't really work. Yeah, do dead face right now. Yeah, it does look like you're taking a piss out of someone. Yeah. Don't know if it would work. But, yeah, that's my answer for the best couple. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily recommend people watch the whole of that film, but I'd say at least, like, fast forward to that scene, watch it, and go, what? Fall in love. It's a masterclass. That's really excellent. I mean, this is the one I do have an answer for, of course. Yep, Kermit and Miss Piggy. Well, that would be on the That would be my prediction for your answer. No, my answer is uh, Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie and Don't Look Now. That's my answer. I've not seen it. Well, you should. What's the film (laughs) that inspired you to do something? Jackass the movie. When I saw it, afterwards I wanted to do this. Jackass. Oh, Oh, yeah, you love Jackass. I love Jackass. And after I saw the first one, me and my friends were like, let's go and jump off of stuff and film ourselves doing it. (laughs) Do you have these videos? My friend Matthew will have these videos. You um, must find these videos. No, because I've asked him never to show them to people ever. But um, uh. we used to, we, this was before people had camera phones. Mm. And my friend Matthew had a camcorder, so we would film ourselves all the time. And thank God YouTube wasn't a big thing back then. or cause it, we, You know, I feel so sorry for teenagers growing up now with YouTube yeah. who would just put stuff on there. And then I, mean, I, I think they're more savvy than we were back yeah. then. I think teen, even teenagers know now. Nope, yeah. not putting anything online. Don't put that up. Yeah. But like, we would have if we if we had known that we could, if, if somebody said to us you can put that online, we would have thought, yeah, well, we're brilliant, so we're definitely going to put it online. Did you do it with like the intros as well? Would you say I'm James Acaster and this is jumping up a building? Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, okay, definitely like going like or going like we're gonna jump <laughs> we're gonna jump over these shopping trolleys. Here we go or whatever. We're just like. <laughs> really stupid stuff but I remember just being watching that first Jackass film and being so absolutely amped with like yeah. I just want to go out like I remember as soon as the film finished yeah. we were we were uh, on this rake seating at the cinema and I was like I'm just going to jump on my chair and I'm going to jump down as far see how far down the rake seating I can go because <laughs> I was like I, I didn't do that but I was so uh, amped that I was like that's what I want to do because I want to be like Jackass how is Jackass Forever? I know it you is, see it. and I do mm. not say this lightly, a masterpiece. It is right. their best. It's the best Jackass film. I would say there's only two stunts in it which I didn't love. <laughs> Normally in Jackass films, there are a handful that I love, a lot that are just okay, and a couple that I hate. <laughs> but it's worth it for the ones that I love. The ones I love are like... This is cinema at its finest. Jackass Forever. Yeah. There are two. There is one that I think is okay. Mm -hmm. There is one that I don't like. The rest of them, 10 out of 10, I absolutely love it. And by the end, I was like, that is beautiful what they've done with that. They They got the new class in. They got the old hand, the old guard. And they're in it together. And you completely forget that that lot are new and uh, those th- th- this lot have been at it for a long time. You just completely love the new lot. I bet they're going to do more films with just that new lot now. This is the passing of the torch. I'm going to throw my name into the ring. Join that Jack- new Jackass crew, Jackaster. Oh, please do Jackaster. I just call myself Jackaster and join Jackass. Look, if the people who make Jackass approached me, to at least 
to just like guest on one stunt, I'd absolutely do it. I don't think I could. I mean, no, obviously, obviously, no, obviously, no one's offering me, but in, well, in, 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 in my wildest dreams, we don't know who listens to this. If you are involved in Jackass Eric and you Manaka. are listening to this, please hire Jack Astor for your next film. Yeah, and I will. I will do a stunt. I probably can't do the whole film because, um, you know, as people know, you, I am older than I look. Do you have and, a dream uh, dream stunt? Never... You could do one stunt. What was it going to be from the Jack from the entire Jackass series? All the Jackass series, all the stunts they've ever. Unless done. you've got your own one, you want you've invented. Well, the most iconic ones, I don't think I could do. I couldn't do putting a toy car up my butt because why not? I just don't think it would be. I don't want to do the, the ones that are just like that are like. I mean, that for one, that's like the best one they've ever done. It's iconic, and I think anyone trying to do that one again, it's, it's almost disrespectful. Right, right. Ryan Dunn did that. He's no longer with us. I think if you stick a toy car up your butt, um, <laughs> you're saying that you're basically just that you're you're as good as Ryan Dunn, and that's that's disrespectful. Um, I also I don't think it works. I think part of the reason why it works is because you know it was done however long ago, and he clearly doesn't want to put the toy car up his butt, and. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I would want to put the toy car up my butt, but I'd say it's 2022 and less of us have a yeah. problem with putting stuff up our butts these days. <laughs> and I reckon if, if someone told me, put that up your butt, people would be able to see in my eyes, he doesn't want to do it, but he also doesn't think it's a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what you really need in a jackass stunt like that <laughs> is for the person to be like, I really don't want this up my butt. But I think right. I'd just be like, nah, be fine. This will be all right. So what's your choice? What do you want to put up your butt? <laughs> I want to put something up my butt because, again, I just think I'd be okay with it. Um, <laughs> I, I would say, um, I mean, there's a lot of their stunts that, like, <laughs> there's a lot of good ones. I mean, the high five is my favourite one where they've got a right. massive hand and they pull it right back on a spring uh, yeah. and a spring-loaded thing and then they let go and it just smacks people as they walk in the door. Okay. Um, obviously, Johnny Knoxville's got a pretty good deal in that because he just stands there and lets the hand go and it smacks other people. So I'd like to be in that one, but not be told yeah. that I'm going to get smacked. So I'd like them to prank me one day and okay. walk in and get smacked by the big hand and then I'll be pretty <laughs> happy about that. <laughs> James Acaster, you've been excellent for the fifth time. Thank you for doing such a special edition and for being the person that started and may well have finished mm. this podcast. Yes. However, you're on the precipice of heaven and hell. The best and worst things you told me you did, one was carbs, the other was being mean to me. Neither of which really amount to a hill of beans in this crazy town. <laughs> which made me think, oh, I might I might let him live. And then I heard your answers, most of which you'd said before. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I'm about to kick this fucking guy into hell. But... You got one last chance. You can give me one film that is meaningful in the hope that I will spare your life. What film are you going to give me before I make my final decision? Oh, Christ. Right. Look, I know I haven't prepared this one. I I focus so much on the other ones that I don't really have an answer. But I will give you an answer. Yeah. I'm going to say, just because Mm. I'm looking over at my DVD collection now, yeah, and it's the film that I was like, I would like to watch that, 
now. And I think it's a beautiful film. I would say The Farewell. I'd like to present you with The Farewell. Oh, James. You've only bloody done it. Yeah. James at the Slamcaster, you're going to heaven. And I tell you what, it was right up to the wire, that was. But I fucking love The Farewell. What an excellent, life-saving answer. I'm not, I don't mean life-saving, you're still dead, but you are going yeah. to heaven. heaven. Congratulations. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful time there. There's lots of your friends there, actually, because I've killed so many of them. <laughs> and you give me a list of the people you like the most, and I will not resurrect them and make sure that they get to stay there with you. Okay. Uh, it's, it's wonderful news. I'm very proud of you. You've done a tremendous job, actually. You've lived an incredible life. You've touched many, many people, and you've also touched their minds. Will you please tell people what to look out for? You've got a book out. You've got the biggest podcast in the world, Iron Menu, on on the record. And you've also got your stand-up that you're only doing for charity now. Is there anything, what's, is there anything else we need to look out for? Well, okay, so my book comes out in August. It's called James Acaster's Guide to Quitting Social Media, Being the Best You Can Be and Curing Yourself of Loneliness, Volume 1. That comes out in August. It's mm-hmm. a very, very silly book. Listen to the Off Menu podcast and me and Ped Pamples talk about food and ask people their dream I, meals. I must get him on one day. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I think everything else is a secret. I know one of your secret projects. And let me tell you, it is going to blow people's <laughs> little pants off. Yes. People's pants are going to fall off when yeah. they discover that project. And when they say... This is the man who said there was no such thing as erotic cinema. And he <laughs> he made this project on my days. Yes. He was hiding in plain sight all along. <laughs> James Acaster, thank you. Thank you. It does mean a lot to me that you started this show and that you are here for the 200th episode. God bless you and keep you and have a wonderful time in heaven. Thank you, Bradley. All right. I love you. Good good day. Good day. <laughs> so that was episode 200. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra chat, secrets and video with the genie. Don't forget to get your tickets for the live show at the Hackney Empire, July 2nd. Tickets are available at hackneyempire.co.uk or plosive.co.uk. So look, I don't want to make too big a deal of this and I don't want to cry, but I started this podcast few years ago with the help and advice of Scroobius Pip and with long-suffering producer and the theme music man Buddy Priest and with photography by Lisa Lydon and with the fantastic art by Adam Richardson from Pod Bible who's got his own life and never wants to do it but I keep making him do it and through the years this thing has grown into live shows at the BFI and beyond into sequels and now into trilogies and all of this happened because of the people that listened and cared about it so I thank you It has been a real privilege to spend time with the amazing guests I've had and an honour that any of you have listened. I am going to do one more bonus episode next week and then if you can bear it, I'm at least going to take a break. I always said I'd stop at 200. I'll have a think about it. I do love doing this and I'm sure that I will continue. But I'm very busy and it's quite hard to do this as a weekly thing. So I'm just going to take a month off. I'm going to think about it. might come back and do it as seasons. I might do it, who knows? I'll probably carry on doing it as normal. Who knows? You know what I'm like. I can't stay away from it, but we'll see. But I'm definitely going to stop for a bit. I'm going to give you one extra bonus next week because I've got a really fucking great one in the can. 
and then give me a minute to think about it and I'm sure I'll be back. But I want you to know it means a lot to me that so many of you have written and so many of you care about this show. I care about it too. I'll be back. Just give me a little break. I love you. I'm grateful to you. I'm thankful to anyone who has listened to this and who has talked about it and who has shared it with their friends. And I hope I see a lot of you at the live show at Hackney. I do have to give a special thank you, special shout out to Buddy Peace, the producer and the man who did the theme tune. He's the heart and soul of this show. He's the guy who answers the phone at midnight when I'm like, oh, I just need to get this thing in the, in the fucking podcast. And he does it all. He's the reason this show works. He's fucking brilliant. I'd recommend him to anyone. And best of all, he's an incredible music guy. Listen to all his stuff. You can find it on Bandcamp, I think on Spotify. Buddy Peace is amazing. All the Christmas music you get, that's him. He's fucking brilliant. And I'm very grateful to him. So thank you, buddy. And I know he's had to listen to this because he's the one editing it and he's probably being sick in his mouth as he listens. But buddy, I love you. You're brilliant. Thank you. I hope you're all well. Thank you for everything. So that is it for now. In the meantime, have a lovely week and please be excellent to each other. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Maureen, your Canva presentation looks brilliant. Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen. Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbour Maureen. Yeah, thank you.